listening to It's All About Perspective with your hosts, Abigail Peterson from Kindergarten Chaos and Principal Robert Hinchliff. Join us as we discuss education from various points of view. Take the challenge of listening to see if your opinion changes. But no matter where you stand on the issues, remember, it's all about perspective. Hello and welcome back to It's All About Perspective. This is Abigail Peterson from Kindergarten Chaos, and my co-host is... I am Robert Hinchliffe, principal of Tyrone Thompson Elementary School in Las Vegas, and we have a great topic today, one I think is pertinent to every educator out there. So several years ago, I can't even remember how many years ago it was, we had a staff development day back when we had actual staff development days, like the whole day, um, we had a staff development day where you and our educational psychologist put together a, I want to say it was at least a half day, maybe three quarters of a day, all on ROI. And I remember as soon as you said ROI, immediately my brain goes to banking and goes to numbers and money and, you know, the market, the stock market and things like that. But you quickly, you and our former um, school psychologist quickly changed my mind. And I have to say, while this sounds very um, cliche-ish, it really did change my life. That sounds very dramatic. I, I I hear everybody out there. Yes, it does sound dramatic. But the reason why it changed my life, and I, I say my life because it wasn't just my teacher life, but it was actually my outside of teaching life as well. Because you talked about return on investment. How much time you put into something based upon what you get in return, the value you get in return. And the whole um, topic that day was based around education and things we do in education. But I was able to also apply that to my personal life. And it really changed my thinking on how I deal with people and families and relationships and things like that. So it got me to thinking about some things in education that we do because we always have done. And is it really worth our time, the time that we have to put in with it? And I think the very first one is homework. Well, right. I remember that staff development well because the psych and I had planned it. But what a little background story is she came in with some research and said, have you ever seen this? And I said, no. And it was researched by John Hattie. And unfortunately, not very many people know who John Hattie is. It's very interesting. Like you and I were in Tahoe for a conference and we were watching Weston Kieschnick, who's great. And he was talking about effect size. And he said something. And I think I was the only person in the room who was like, John Hattie. And he's like, yeah, I'm the back. <laughs> because people don't know about him, which shocks me. But um, the whole idea of return on investment of time was based upon the research by Hattie. And he has gone around and done tons of studies about what gets the biggest bang for your buck, so to speak. So he's upped it now back in our day, uh, many years ago, probably six or seven years ago, it was like 116 influences. Now he's got up to 252 items that affect outcomes in school. Um, And it goes through there. And basically all of his meta-analysis break it down to where if something has an effect size of 0.40, 
that's average. Anything below 0.40 is a waste of time, so to speak, or it has a negative return on your investment. So you just said homework, and I am looking at Hattie's right now. And the reason why I say homework is because it's one of those controversial topics. You know, I see it on all the Facebook boards. It always comes up in in grade level meetings or in um, school wide meetings. You know, the 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 age old question: should should students have homework? Should they not have homework? Is it worthwhile? Is it beneficial? Do we do it because we've always done it? Do we do it because there's the responsibility component of it? So I so, would love to know what John Hattie's research says. So on according to Hattie, ROI this is in 2017, homework. so a few years old. Um, homework has an effect size of 0.29. Therefore, it is below the average rate of return and does not give you a rate of return that um, is equal to a year's growth or equal to helping kids uh, grow in a year. What I find fascinating, and I think this is where I struggle. And again, I want to put this out. This is my perspective, which is the whole idea. What I find fascinating is that John Hattie has done this for his whole life. And so many things of the things, so many of the things we are doing in education right now fall below 0.4. So for Which example, is the average effect size. That's the, it's not yeah, even a it's, great effect size. Right. It's an average. 0.4 is the average that it takes to get a kid to grow a grade level a year. So just a few things right here that have a negative effect size in terms of being below 0.4 that I think people are really into these days. Mindfulness, 0.29. Home visits, 0.29. Mainstreaming and inclusion, 0.27. Problem-based learning, 0.26. Use of PowerPoint, 0.26. I'll just do a few more. Summer school, mm. for you summer school people, 0.23. Now, I'm going to guess that at the time, summer school is probably based on kids who went and caught up right. um, and stayed, not so much what we're doing now. Technology in small groups, 0.21. I can go on and on and on on uh, distance education, by the way, is 0.13. Wow. But, which you know, we all so, just spent a whole entire year doing. Which in reality, I kind of agree with because it probably did set kids back a long, long way. So there's a lot interesting performance goals, 0.01, but we all have SLGs. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of Hattie's influences that fall below 0.4 that people basically love. And promote and get and paid promote. a lot of money to go around and help school districts set up and implement. Absolutely. So it's very interesting. Like, for example, bilingual programs, 0.36. Um, again, I can go on and on and on. The things that are worth your time, according to Hattie, his perspective after all of his. Well, it's not necessarily just his perspective. It's actual research. This this is this is research that you can go and look up. It's not just his perspective like Robert and I. Yeah, if you if you search it, it's, it's uh, very simple to find out, you know, but for the first one, collective teacher efficacy, basically all teachers are bought in and we're all going to make this work. We're all on the same team. 1.57. So what that means that if like your grade level, for example, are all awesome and they're all bought in, you can hypothetically grow your kids 1.57 years over the course of the year. Like it has that big of an impact mm -hmm. on self-reported grades. Interesting. Basically standard four, as I see it 
in Clark County for the NEPF for teacher evaluations where kids actually report to you their self-reported um, grades, 1.33. Teacher estimates of achievement, 1.29. So if the teacher believes in that kid or not, it has a great, great effect size. Cognitive task analysis. So thinking, of course, about what the task you're completing. And then the top five, last one, RTI, uh, 1.28. But it goes, again, our staff development was based upon that, and we were showing how homework is not nearly important as cooperative learning or, or vice versa. But I think that just looking at it updated now, his latest research, we have to step back as educators and ask ourselves, is what we're doing worth our time? Because according to John Hattie, who has done this for his whole life across many countries, for those of you that like to point out Finland or wherever, what he says works, we don't even hardly talk about or we don't really focus on. So it's really interesting to me right now to get people's opinions on this. And I can't wait to teach the, the new staff at Thompson about these. We're having a book study because, again, not very many people know that this research is out there. Mm hmm. Well, and let's let's talk about some of the things. For instance, going back to the homework, I did homework packets for several years, and I I remember for two years straight, I would come in every Sunday, and I would run off seventy five packets because that's how many kindergartners we had at the time, and I would make seventy five packets for the week, and I would spend probably two and a half to three hours every Sunday, putting together these homework packets for all of the kindergarten grade level. And the reality is, is I don't think so, because who knows who was doing that homework at home? You know, you have some that don't turn it in. You have some that comes back and you know that their older brother or sister or a parent was, was doing it. Um, you have some that Half of it's done, half of it's not done. And then what, you're going to give a consequence for that when you really don't have any control of what happens once it leaves the classroom? So homework's an interesting one because I think that's based more upon mm -hmm. our how we grew up. We talked about that last week a little bit, how you know the generations are um, bumping up against each other. So in homework, when we grew up, homework was huge. You know, I didn't have all this cognitive research really on education. But homework, I think, might be actually swinging the right way uh, with with enough schools or teachers, maybe uh, maybe cutting out homework. You know, for example, or I can only speak to Thompson, but at our school next year, your homework is essentially you do reading or you do freckle uh, to try to fill in the math gaps, um, sight words. That's it. Like we want kids to be kids. They need to be able to be kids outside. And if you're assigning three or four hours of homework, you're taking their life away. And then what you're doing is, I find this a lot too, homework, the student that's struggling and you give them grade level homework, they can't do it. So what do they end up doing? Mm -hmm. Fighting with mom and dad. Mom and dad then get frustrated and then they come to the school and they're like, I can't get him to do his homework or this or that. So again, if you're giving homework that's at the grade level to the kids that are low, that's a waste of time. And on the flip side, if you're giving homework at grade level to a kid that is Hi, you're wasting their time. And I used to hate packets. I don't know if we had this argument or not back in the day. I hate homework packets because the smart kids get the whole homework packet done on Monday. Yes, absolutely. And the other ones put it off or can't do it. And it doesn't really meet the needs of kids. And hypothetically, 
homework should be an extension of what they learned that day. So mm-hmm. homework has a lot of ins and outs to it. Yeah, it does. It does. Because on the flip side, the reason why I chose to give a packet and not a daily homework is because you have kids that go to ballet on Tuesdays and softball on Wednesdays. And sometimes they're out till eight or nine at night due to whatever activity they're in. And then they don't get to the homework. And so then this, the next morning when they show up and they're crying, you know, this is what happens in kindergarten and they're crying because they don't have their homework because they didn't get it done the night before. And so that was one of the reasons why. I was a proponent of a homework packet because it didn't matter to me when they did it. But you're exactly right. It's supposed to be um, an extension. And for those kids that are struggling and are not at grade level, they are frustrated when they go home. And grownups are not going to be able to teach them the concept just because they've brought it home. Just because they brought home a homework, you know, assignment to catch them up or to help them doesn't mean that that's going to happen. So, yeah. So like when we look at it, homework, I think if you're out there listening, you need to rethink that. It's not to say you can't send home homework that fits. Like I know there are teachers out there that put time in and they do, well, an interesting topic. They do level readers or, you know, things at every kid's level. They put the time in to differentiate homework. If you're going to do it. Yes, but you can't, but you, but, but here's, here is the devil's advocate is that you cannot be sure of what is happening once they walk out that door. So I don't care if you've spent, you know, uh, uh, your whole entire week at differentiating homework. To me, it's such a waste of time because when they get home and if there's nobody there to help them, especially, and I have a kindergarten brain. So I think of, you know, they, they're very dependent. They need somebody to kind of not do the work for them, but kind of you know, coach them along and say, okay, you're going to sit down and you're going to do this. You know, and I think about that. And I think once they leave my classroom, I, there's, there's no telling what is happening and it's not fair. Then we yeah. bring this up. This next subject is, do we grade homework? Do we count it as a grade? Because that's a whole nother ball game. No, you don't because in Clark County, you're not supposed to. However, middle school and high school will freely tell you that they won't do it unless there's a grade attached to it. Uh, shockingly enough. So just don't give it. So again, is that if you give an assignment that is homework based, that takes you, uh, let's say an hour and a half to grade, is that worth your investment of time? I say no, because I, are you going to then sit down with every kid and give them feedback on what they did? Cause if you don't give them feedback, you're wasting your time because they just spent an hour and a half at night doing the problems wrong. You spent an hour and a half grading everything. And then you're not going to take the moment to sit down with Abby and say, okay, I see what you did here. Let's talk about it. You've just mm-hmm. basically wasted all that time. Plus you've reinforced what she believes to be right by not fixing it. So homework is not, in my opinion, it's no wonder it's point. I, I finally, after, after several after several years, I finally came to this epiphany that I can only control what happens in my classroom from 9, 10 in the morning till 321 in the afternoon. And so that is where I can make a difference. I cannot control what happens outside of that. And so I had to kind of let go of those of those um, beliefs that were put into my brain in, in college or, or from my past as a, as a student myself that 
homework is necessary because I just found if I was going to spend three hours on Sunday doing homework packets, a better use of my time would be three hours of, of coming up with some hands-on activities and practice ideas and some new learning opportunities for my students that I can actually observe and provide feedback to. That is a better use of my time than the three hours spent making homework packets. Right. What about bulletin boards? This is an interesting one. This one came up today at school, actually. I am not a proponent of bulletin boards, personally. Uh, I was talking to a teacher today at Thompson, and she was telling me about a friend of hers who has a principal that essentially wants the bulletin boards updated weekly uh, with new writing, and they have like a little tally sheet on the side of the bulletin board. That just to me is a huge waste of time. In my opinion, I have teachers that will argue the other way, that bulletin boards are worth their time. And that's something called micromanaging. <laughs> right, right. So that person needs to do a study on ROI to see if it's <laughs> worth it. But, you know, bulletin boards for me, it's not, it's not worth my time. Some people want standards on bulletin boards. Why is it so important? I can even continue with the standards idea. How long does it take you to write your standards on your board? Five minutes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Some people want kid-friendly standards and regular standards mm -hmm. or maybe objectives or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's time. Abby, is it amazing that you and I grew up to be successful and the standards were not written on the board? Mm -hmm. It's true. Shocker. It's true. Shocker. I know. I don't even think we had bulletin boards back in our day either. But – you know, again, people can take their perspective. That's fine. Bulletin boards. I've heard of stories of where people had to have three dimensional bulletin boards once a once a month. Yeah, or or even monthly themes, which blows my mind that a school would say, okay, for this month you have to follow this theme, and it has to be completed by four o'clock on such and such a date. That blows my mind because that is such a waste of teachers' time. So it really and, is. I agree, and so I'm going to. Um, yeah, I was working on the hallways of Thompson. Each hallway represents a house and I'm looking at the bulletin boards. I'm like, I wonder how many of the teachers would be mad if these disappeared. So the people in that hallway, I text them all. I'm like, Hey, I'm doing something. Would anybody of you miss your, any of you miss your bulletin board if it was gone? No, 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 no. Because they see it as a, not a valuable use of their time. And it's one more thing on the to-do list, Robert, that you have yes. to do. It's like the beginning of the year when, we're, when you're setting up the year. So you obviously have boards in your classroom. And those I feel like most teachers, I would say the majority of teachers utilize those boards. Because you're using them for either to display student work or you're using them as a, uh, focus walls or you're doing something productive within your classroom. But we're talking about the bulletin boards on the outside of your classroom that are in the hallways. And when you and I worked together, I just like everybody else, I had an outside bulletin board. And for Meet the Teacher Night, or I'm sorry, yeah, for Meet the Teacher Night, which was the usually the Friday before the first day of school, it was like everybody's in a scramble to put something on that board. Now, you were you were content as long as there was just paper up there. You know, as long as there's something up it's there. It's not faded paper. Yeah, not faded. as long as it's as long as it's um, you know covered and it's not the brown cork. That's that was fine with you. It was just to have something up there. But as a teacher, you it's one more thing on the list that you have to plan for. 
you have to plan and say, okay, what am I going to put on the board? How, you know, how long am I going to leave it up? You know, there were, there were some teachers that were very faithful and every month changing their boards and changing, um, you know, the student work and things on there. And, and I, I will be honest and say that I, I would, I love the hallway when there's things on the boards. I don't really mm-hmm. care what it is because it feels homey and it feels, yes. it doesn't feel like a sterile hospital setting. I hate the end of the year when everything comes down and it's all sterile and it yeah. feels, it doesn't feel comfortable. So I, I do love bulletin boards. I just don't like the pressure that's put up on teachers to put your standards on there to make it have, um, I, I heard a horror story of a, of a principal who was like, if it was writing that went on there, it had to be perfect writing. It had to have finger spaces and, and, and punctuation. And we're talking again, kindergarten. I'm just happy that they could put some print down on paper. Yeah. Or that they could phonetically spell something. Yes. And that's it to me you know, we're, we're showcasing, Hey, look at what we're doing, what we're working on in our class. Doesn't, yeah. you know, it doesn't have to be perfect. So let's, uh, let's, let's go into another one that, uh, I know many principals will probably disagree with me on this one. Lesson plans. Ah, I, okay. please, I, this is my perspective. Do not spend time hours writing lesson plans. My point of view is I would rather have you planning lessons that are awesome rather than writing down what you're going to do. So for me personally, I don't care what your lesson plans say is if you, if you know what you're doing and you can teach, that's all that really matters to me. If you struggle, okay, let's sit down and write this out and think about Mm -hmm. it. But Abby, I watched you teach hundreds of times. You writing things down on a piece of paper is a waste of my time is a waste of your time. And it's not going to make you a better teacher. It just is going to make me an angry teacher. (laughs) Right. And you know, there's, there's laws to that. You got to have your lesson plans, whatever. Keep them simple. I used to be the principal. I will admit I used to be the principal. You need to do this, 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 and this, but thank goodness I have evolved over time to realize that that stuff was not important uh, to the overall learning. And then that's my, uh, my, that's my opinion, but you know, you know there are principals out there that are oh, checking yes. lesson plans oh, yes. every week. Oh yes. And I just wonder, what could you do with that time that you're doing that? Could you go walk into rooms? Because some principals never walk into rooms. Could you go, uh, you know, go boost morale somehow? I'm just saying, like, let's think about the return on investment of lesson plans. Well, and let's, why don't you spend that time in that struggling teacher's room than in the teacher that has got it together and who is doing what is best for students? Let's stay, let's not worry about what her lesson plans look like. And let's go to the one that's struggling. And why don't we give them some support, not tear them down. Let's give them some support. I completely am on the a written lesson plan is not an ROI for me, okay? Because I know my standards. I've been in kindergarten for years. I can quote the standards back to you. I know the scope and the sequence. Do I have long-range plans every year? Absolutely. I think every teacher needs that. Every teacher needs a long-range plan because we got to know where we're where we're starting and where we're going, okay? Do they have to be detailed? And, and I, I don't think so. But I will say that I do think there are teachers that need a little bit more structure and, and they're not capable of, of knowing what the next step is. 
And I think that becomes a little bit of a scary issue because when you give me the leniency because you know I'm capable, but then there's the other teacher that is clearly not on the same page. I think, how do you handle that? Well, that's just, I mean, I can, I can make that just be part of supervision process. That's no big deal. But again, I am preaching right now to the staff at Thompson. Don't slow the high kids down. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I must live it as well. And if you are an expert in this area, I don't want to slow you down as mm-hmm. the teacher. Everything should be prescriptive. If a person needs to sit down and map out a lesson so that they know when to have people turn and talk or they know how to use an exit ticket or whatever, fine, you that's my use job. A basil. You well, may as well use a basil. That's scripted. I mean, if we, you. Well, but we don't want them. I, personally, I don't want them to do that. I want them to learn to do that right. on their own so they right. can be more like you. So if I can sit down and, and or, or teach it, heaven help me in kindergarten, but in fourth grade, I can teach them and show what to do. That's more powerful, I think, than having everybody write down materials, mm-hmm. procedures, assessment. I well, just don't like if- that. I don't like that as a return on investment of time. And one of my biggest pet peeves when I hear about principals who are um, walking around and and doing surprise walk-ins and they say, oh, well, it's 9.33. Your lesson plan says you're supposed to be working on phonics OW right now. It's a huge pet peeve of mine. You know why? Because I'm a professional. I'm a professional. I went to school to become a teacher and I have something that I call teacher intuition. And there are some times we are in the depths of learning and I am not going to stop the train and say, oops, it's 930. Got to move on. I don't care that we're, we're having a great time and we are having discussions that includes lots of vocabulary and oh, got to stick to the schedule. I refuse to do that. And on and on the flip side. If some if a lesson is going to pot, I am not going to trudge through it. I'm going to stop and say, you know what, guys, Miss Peterson is struggling a little bit. I, let's all get out our dry erase boards and let's, you know, let's practice some some writing, some CVC words. And I'm going to shift it up. And if you walk, if you're that principal that walks in and wants to know you, you seriously want me to trudge through a lesson that's that nobody's listening to. And that's a hot mess. Unfortunately, yes, some do. So if you're out there, please stop. (laughs) The only way that teachers can learn to have teacher intuition is to let them struggle and learn from their mistakes. Or, I mean, when I'm watching someone who's struggling, I am sitting there in my head thinking, stop and pivot, stop and pivot. They don't get it. You're not going to be able to finish. Stop, do something else. I am cheering for that person to stop Mm -hmm. and realize that they're wasting time and go to something more efficient or more applicable to the students. So again, like I've heard stories, horror stories about how every every class in this grade has to be at the same point, the same point during the day, the same. That's just stupid. It's stupid. Not every teacher is the same. Not every class is the same. Some students, are, some classes have more higher students. Some have more lower students. This district wants you, Abby, to differentiate for all your kids, but they do not want to differentiate for teachers or for schools. They want all the teachers to basically meet the needs of every child, but they're not helping us meet the needs of every teacher or every school. That's how I feel. Therefore, like 
next year. I really think the district is trying to go this way, which scares me of where they want robots who just do the program like envisions do page 35. Everybody's on page 35 and I can't live like that. And I'll protect the teachers at Thompson from having to do that as much as possible because you know what? Someone said, I, I think it was uh, general Patton. He said, plans are great until someone punches you in the face. Then what are you going to do? So those of you that like to plan, you can have plans, but plans don't always work. So what are you going to do when they don't have it? So anyways, return on investment of time. I say any plan really, um, is it worth your time? School improvement plan, long range plans for me. I get that some people want them. Uh, I personally just, you know, I plan on being organized and then guess what? I don't control my day. Kid broke his arm today. This mm -hmm. parent came in. This teacher got sick. This person's dog died. You know, there's always something going on. Plans are great until they don't work. Um, so again, that's, that's another return on investment of time is how much time are you spending yeah. on writing down mm -hmm. plans that you don't end up doing? For example, I uh, just thought of this, the same psychologist that we used to work with when I first got to Smith, the RTI process required so much stuff to be written down and paperwork, paperwork, paperwork. And finally a teacher after the first year, he came to me and he said, Hey, we got to talk about this. And he explained everything, mm -hmm. all the paperwork he had to do for RTI. And he said, right. look at all of this. I have to do, I was here till eight o'clock trying to get ready for this RTI meeting. And I'm like, okay, thank you. I asked the psychologist, I said, how much of that paperwork do you end up ever seeing? And she said, not very much. That, that was my answer. We're getting rid of paperwork as much as possible. Your RTI process, is it worth your return on investment of time? If you're spending all your time writing down data and writing down things, when we first were at Smith, I, I was bad. I admit it. We had a lot of data. We had to do a lot of things because data, data, data. But what I figured out was we're spending too much time doing that instead of teaching. And the teachers were great about telling me that. Okay, how can we pare this down? What's the minimum amount of paperwork we need? Uh, I guarantee right now some teachers are out there screaming, SLPPs, no return on investment of time. Yeah. So again, Absolutely. I think there's so many things out there, data-wise and paperwork-wise, that be, could be cut as well. I, I have something that it, it also I want to add to that. In our specific district, in order to get a pay raise, you have to do CUs. And which are our credit units. And, and units. so the district has been so benevolent. And I say that sarcastically by saying, oh, OK, well, we'll count your IEP meetings that you sit in on as a general ed teacher. We'll allow you to have that as a credit unit. But, Robert, when I started doing the process, the amount of paperwork they want you to submit for a 30-minute IEP meeting takes me 30 minutes to write the paperwork than to go and get your signature and to get whoever else's signature. And it's, it is, I, to be quite honest with you, I, I, I said, forget it. Forget it. It is not worth my, this $1,000 pay raise is not worth the 225 hours plus 200 more hours filling out the paperwork to do. You you make a good point, but now you're a hustler. That's who you are. The, the, so it's 775 
hours for 225 contact units. So, Abby, in 775 hours, I guarantee you that with your side hustle here of Kindergarten Chaos, you could earn a whole lot more on Teachers Pay Teachers or through your whole your whole uh, business in that 775 than you would on the raise going forward. Well, and that's, and that's exactly what I did was I said, I, I'm not, I mean, I'm all for PD. I'm all for growing myself. I think I have proven that over the years. I love to, to do book studies. I love to do, to go to conferences. I love to soak up PD from mentors and, and I have no problem doing any of that. And, and I would gladly do that for a raise, but then all of a sudden you want me to do paperwork on paperwork on paperwork. Oh, and by the way, don't do it on your contracted hours. We want you to do it outside. Oh, and by the way, SLPPs are due on Friday and and that's going to take you two hours or three hours to submit. And, and it's just, I mean, the ROI on it is, is just not, it, it was, it's not worth it. It's not worth it to me. It's not. And like I said, there are, especially in this day and age, there are so many teachers who can make more money on the other side of things. Now that doesn't go to your retirement or anything like that. So uh, there's always the backside. But again, how many things out there that educators are doing are a waste of time, so to speak, whether it's based upon Hattie's research or anyone else's, how many items out there? I mean, professional development. Let's just let's just go into this one too. Last year at the beginning of the year, the teachers had to do so much professional development through Canvas for CCSD. And in about 25 seconds, they figured out they could learn more through Teachers Pay Teachers or on Facebook than they could through the Canvas courses. So they found a way to basically get a good return on investment of time. Teachers are amazing people. If you let go of the purse strings, the vast majority are going to use their time wisely. But they don't know sometimes, or principals don't know, what they don't know. So you might be doing three hours of homework packets when you don't know that it's not worth your, your time. It's just a fascinating topic, and I think there's so many things out there that um, that could be changed. I I completely agree. I I was also thinking about test prep. How many teachers spend time in test prep when we could be teaching? And I I'll be honest and say that I don't have. Um, as a kindergarten teacher, I don't have as much of that because I'm not bound by, um, you know, state testing and and I don't have those kind of things. But I hear those I hear the stories from other teachers that are, you know, frustrated because and if it was just think about this, if it was just one test. But we have all these other benchmarks and all of these other maps testing, and then, you know, all the state testing that that work we're required to do. And is it really worth your time? You would get a great big, I, I think it'd be very interesting to, to, you know, if you put on your Instagram, does testing have a good ROI? <laughs> you, I think you would get a lot of people that would say no. I personally, on my side, would say that it depends on the assessment. I like map. I some teachers don't. I like map because it shows me what the kids know, what they don't know. Are they filling in the gaps? Is the teacher growing all kids? That's an admin perspective. When you say uh, test prep, 
again, I can see both sides because if you do, if you teach all year, basically in the, uh, with the idea of, okay, these kids are going to have to know this this way and basically do press test prep in the way that you ask questions, you shouldn't have to do it. Some teachers also use test prep as like, okay, we're going to take our maps data. We know they don't know this. We're going to fill in these gaps. That's test prep. It depends on how you do it. And if you make it a good return on investment of time, if your test prep is basically um, teaching them specific words or specific um, ways to do it, I don't think that's good at all. I think you have to be content driven in nature. But again, you'd, you'd get a lot of people that would say, map testing does not have a good ROI to which I would then say, well, we need to talk about that. Cause I, I think that if you don't like map testing, it's because you are afraid of your scores and your outcomes. That would be my perspective. Um, but then again, Abby, as a kindergarten teacher, I know the first map doesn't mean anything to you. Yeah, it doesn't. The first map is, is, you know, frustrating because they don't most of the time know how to use, um, you know, a computer and especially, you know, if you have outdated computers, which we did and some, you know, I mean, kids had to use a mouse and they had no idea, um, how to use a mouse. And so you're not even at this point, you're not even worried about the test. You're worried about even showing them how to use the computer and you have to go over basic computer skills. And I, you're not the first principal, you know, I have other principal friends and, you know, they too say that they like the maps test. And, and as a kindergarten teacher, my perspective is different because I'm teaching the material anyways, whether or not the maps test tells me it's good or bad. So I'm teaching the material anyways. I don't really need the map scores to tell me that this kid is low in number sense. I can see it. I can see you, it. You can, but you also have data. And you also know, like with us, with our data sheets at Smith, that you were looking to make sure that your kids were all learning. So, but that, I mean, we could go on and on for testing. I just, um, I was just thinking about the second grade team at Thompson and what they would, what they would say about this. And I, this is a huge one and we can end on this one and we can keep going forever because there's so many things. There are a lot of admin out there who have teachers spend hours on providing evidence for a four or hours for pre-observation conferences or hours for post-observation conferences. This is, this is not a good return on investment of time. If teachers have to validate their fours with an amount of time, then I think we have our priorities wrong. Well, and that's one of the things that I appreciated about you and I appreciated about the assistant principals that supervised me is that I think my work ethic speaks for itself. And and the little fill in the blank, um, you know, bubble sheet, so to speak, Scantron, not that it's a Scantron, but just, you know, speaking sarcastically again, it, it doesn't do my what I what I'm doing in the classroom justice. You know what I mean? You know, when you walk in, whether or not I am a four or I'm a two, you know that. And and so if you if you think I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a four, then why do I have to justify that I'm a four when you know that I'm a four? You know, 
I can see, I can well, see I on mean, the opposite have... end of if you think a teacher is a two and they think they're a four, I think, yeah, you need to justify. Obviously I'm the ad, you know, you're, you're the admin and, and you're, you're saying you find that they're not, they're not the quality of a four teacher. So yeah, they should have to justify. But if we're both on the same page, why do I need to justify? Why do I need to write down I and agree. say, well, I'm a four because I built relationships with my students and I, you know, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I mean, there's two points of view there. I mean, I agree. It shouldn't be near as in depth as it is, but at the same point in time, I have to have evidence to justify the four or the two. Just in case you're not happy, but it should not take hours to get that. It just shouldn't. Like I know that you have two-way communication in these four ways. Great. That's it. Boom, bang, done. I don't need you to provide example of dojo messages or examples of emails or example of newsletters. Like that's just too or, much. Or, like, or, okay, this is another thing that blows my mind. There are actually schools that require their teachers to have portfolios that blows my mind. Do you remember that year that you tried to make? Oh, they, <laughs> do you remember that year that you wanted us to do those big old literacy um, folders, and we spent our school spent like six dollars a folder? Do you remember that? And, that was for kids, though. That was for kids. Uh, yes, but you know what ended That's, up happening? Remember why we got rid of them? Because I know for a fact, I there were kindergarten teachers that took them home and spent their <laughs> weekends coloring in all the things because it wasn't feasible. It wasn't well, feasible to do the data during the day, or or you know, and it was not a return on investment. Let's that's right. It. So then, of course, we we went and we tried to figure something out because the kids were supposed to be in control of their data, but it was logistically hard for you mm-hmm. guys in the classrooms to do it. You know, we adapted. But you're absolutely right. I think I think just to summarize, you have to reflect like admin side. I always try to remember what it was like to be the teacher. And and if it's not worth your time, the teachers at Thompson can come and say, you know, you, we have some very strong personalities, many of who you worked with, that will come and say, hey, we got to talk about this. This isn't this isn't good. I think teachers need to speak up more when things eat up so much of their time and takes away from teaching and learning in the classroom. I think the teachers need to advocate for that time uh, very, very well. And I think admin need to examine themselves, do some, some self-reflection and are they providing an environment that teachers can speak up because you provide that environment where where teachers can say, look, I am drowning in paperwork. Is there anything that can come off of this list that, you know, can somebody help me with, or can you take it off my plate where there are, many, many schools and admin that the teachers wouldn't dare ask. And they go home at night and stay up until 11 at night, filling out paperwork and then getting up at five in the morning and doing lesson plans, pages and pages and pages and pages of lesson plans. I know because my student teacher that I had that one year, that she told me the, the lesson plans were crazy. It was like 35 pages of lesson plans for the week. Well, that's that's in the whole training. That's all UNLV or um, Western Governors or whoever. 
uh, CSN, they need to reexamine their investment of time also, which I have a whole plan going forward for that. You know, like it, it starts. Well, the, wait, 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 wait. Starts, and I know we're getting, I know beginning. we're getting late on time. So we're going to wrap it up. But let me just say this. I understand in the beginning, the long format lesson plan. I do, because if, if, not even 35 if you think, pages. No, but listen, even if you, but even if you think, well, I know how to teach, like the whole idea of writing out a whole long lesson plan is so you can kind of think through, you know, what, what, what is, what is your opening going to be? What's, you know, going through the whole long lesson plan. I get that. I understand that you have to, you know, the first time somebody gets in a tractor, you just don't say, well, good luck. I hope you learn all. I hope it works well for you. You know, I mean, there's got to be, you know, let's, let's, let's do a little training and let's train you. But then once you have it, there's no need for that. I agree. I do understand why they, start you off doing that but there should be a path that says like you're going to do long lesson plans so you know how to do them and you know what what a lesson should look like but then let's get you to where you can just say this is what it's going to be and and take it from there you have to have something i'm just saying yeah Yeah. i'm just saying does it need to be as long-winded as it is i think well i think when you're i think when you are an experienced teacher i i I do not i i'm sorry i just don't think that there's any need any need for that and i think you are devaluing your teachers when you when you require that and if you're an admin listening and you're you're requiring teachers that are experienced good and and you call them highly qualified and you're making them do that that's such a shame. Shame on you. Yeah. I mean, this is such a great topic. We could go on and on and on. We didn't even touch like district wide videos that you have to watch or, oh. you know, or, or tons of other stuff that, that waste of time. Yeah. That comes our way. <laughs> but I think like just going forward, everyone needs to just to sit the next year, especially honestly, everybody, you don't have time to waste. And what I, I told the staff once this, what's something everybody wants, but waste the most of time. You don't have time to waste next year. So no matter what you do, you have to think, is this going to get the effect size back to John Hattie, the effect size that I want? Is this going to move our kids, our class, our school forward? Mm -hmm. And if you think you got a better idea, I think you should definitely look into it. And no matter where you stand on this issue, no matter where you stand, remember that it's always about perspective. Thanks for joining us and see you next week. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We would love to hear your perspective on this episode. Head over to our Instagram page. It's all about perspective 2021 or our Facebook and Twitter page and share your opinion. Don't forget to subscribe or rate and review on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast. And one last thing. Remember, it's all about perspective.